0: Hi, you're listening to the International Risk Podcast. This podcast is for CEOs, board members, risk and compliance officers, security advisors, and anyone interested in improving operations. On this podcast, we hear from the traditional to the wacky, from renowned risk management experts to Red Bull daredevils. There is something to learn about the way we perceive, manage and mitigate risk from all of our guests. Your host, Dominic Bowen, will ask the questions you will want the answers to. If you know Dominic, then you know that he is well acquainted with risk. His 20-year career has seen him successfully establish operations in some of the most complex environments around the world. Dominic has spent most of his career establishing large and successful operations in places like Haiti, Syria, Sudan, Iraq, Lebanon, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and so many other high-risk and medium-risk locations. Joined by our excellent guests, he will reveal innovative ideas on how you can ensure your organization thrives in areas with high risk.
1: welcome to the podcast today Zainab. Hello. Today we're joined by Zainab Alemdar. She's a professor of political science and international relations at the Okan University in Istanbul where she also acts as the Dean of the Faculty of Business and Administrative Sciences and the Gender Studies Research Centre. Zainab has extensive experience promoting gender equality in Turkey working with public and private actors, international organizations, including UN Women, the World Bank, and the European Union. She has conducted research, devised strategies, composed, and conducted trainings to improve women's equal participation in various areas and sectors. She's the founder and director of the Women in Foreign Policy, WFP14, an initiative to increase women's voices in foreign policy making. And introduce women, peace, and security within Turkey. Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. And perhaps we can start by explaining what does feminism means to you and, and how does feminism interact with foreign
2: policy? Feminism is basically fighting for gender equality and making the world a better place for all of us and all the genders, not only for women. What the international relations scholars have framed for us as the international relations theory and how we study it has all these male values-ridden concepts, such as uh, hegemony, such as sovereignty, such as the way to define the power in, in crude and mostly in material terms. So the first feminist international relations scholars Came about and they started talking about women and where women are in the international relations and in foreign policy making and in basically everything that concerns the relations between the uh, states, the relations between the cultures, the relations between peoples. But in 2014, when this word feminist foreign policy came about, people started to become more interested in uh, how feminism and foreign policy are actually interrelated
1: yeah that's a fantastic question Zainab. now we have a lot of business leaders and risk managers and program managers that listen to this podcast from all around the world what would be your message to them about what are the biggest risks of not properly considering gender equality when designing their business operations their promotion their recruitment strategies and a whole variety of other decisions that they need to be making
2: The first, and I think the most imminent answer, is the fact that how can we really miss out on diversity? Like when we do not have the experiences of uh, another gender, or once we do not have the experiences of people who are just experiencing something different than us in in their daily lives, how can we really make decisions? You know, there are so many studies that focus on this and basically explain how diversity benefits both the companies and the countries. And the the sad thing is it will actually take around 267.6 years so that women can actually uh, close the gap in economic participation and opportunity. So it is mind-boggling how far behind as the whole world we are in terms of getting women to to be represented, to participate meaningfully in, uh, in economy, in politics. And it's really interesting how we do not do more about this.
1: Yeah, it is very surprising when I think that now 2021, it's taken a very long time, but I think it's much more mainstream now and accepted that diverse workplaces, diverse leadership teams, diverse governments generally make better decisions. And from a business point of view, they're generally more profitable and have a competitive advantage over their other companies. But we know that women are underrepresented at all levels of decision-making worldwide, both within government and within business. And we, as you said, achieving gender parity is a long way off. I was reading recently that women serve as head of state or head of government in only 22 countries, and there's still 119 countries that have never had a female leader. What are the risks associated with underrepresentation of women
2: in government? Well, let's just look at the COVID crisis. I'm sure you're, you know, you've seen the news about Jacinda Ardern and and Merkel and many other women leaders who actually managed the pandemic right at the start with a different tone than most of the world leaders, including Trump and the Prime Minister of England. And then what they did was they actually reacted in a way that put the people to the front and that recognized the anxiety of the people. They started very rationally, they went into science before, you know, arguing that it was terrorism or, uh, you know, naming it different names. And they didn't, they didn't undervalue people and explain to them that this was, this was very serious. This has to be tackled with science. And they also used compassion. Uh, they reached to people whom the male leaders, unfortunately, did not think about reaching. And I'm not saying that all women are going to be behaving, uh, you know, compassionately or all women, you know, ministers or prime ministers or decision makers or negotiators are going to be this very understanding un- encompassing um, women who would be solving the problems with a tender twist. But what I'm saying is we can also have male leaders who are far advanced in this diversity business and are actually you know, clever enough to realize that the things that different people bring to the table actually makes a lot of sense.
1: You just mentioned the perceived tender twist that women can bring to decision making. We see that when women do secure leadership roles within government, they're usually given ministerial portfolios of family, children, disabilities, social affairs, employment, women affairs, gender equality. Do you think it's a problem that it's much less common to see women hold ministerial portfolios like foreign policy, defence and finance?
2: Exactly. Why do we always need to care for the people? Why don't we have women politicians who are actually you know, great economists who are dealing with the budgetary uh, issues? Why don't we have female engineers who are at the head of the municipal councils uh, who are deciding on how to and where to build buildings. This distinction between the domestic and the, and the foreign, which puts women in the house and puts the man outside, and this distinction between the care work and all the other work that is, you know, quote-unquote, more necessary or requires different types of skills, you know, we have to pay attention to that.
1: It's widely accepted and I've read some very good academic papers and research papers that greater participation is almost certainly likely to lead to higher economic growth in in many countries. But at the same time, I understand that the COVID pandemic has exacerbated the gender gap in the workplace. Could you explain to our listeners the impact that COVID has had on gender
2: equality in the workplace? I mean, let me tell you from my own experience, you know, I'm running a faculty mostly of female instructors. And overnight, we basically switched all our classes and courses online. And most of our staff are mothers. And therefore, their, their whole life has changed in a day. And they had to educate their kids you know, put food on the table at the same time and educate the, their, uh, the students at the same time and make up for all the housework. And they, they had to make this, you know, crazy shift between the workplace and home. And there are actually studies which look at how female and male academics' publication rates differ during the, uh, during the COVID pandemic apparently male colleagues of ours could stay at home when their wives were uh, taking care of their kids and actually write and publish whereas uh, female scholars actually had to stay home and tend for the kids and the students so this is again uh, one of the you know very apparent things and in, in it and it came very clear during the pandemic i mean we knew this but of course the pandemic actually exacerbated that The World Gender Gap Report argues that the COVID pandemic pushed the equality gap a generation. So now it will take another generation, approximately 25 years, to be able to close this gap. Another thing that, of course, the pandemic had impact on was violence against women. So sharing the same house, especially during the lockdowns, has contributed to the increase of domestic violence, which is a really tough issue to solve.
1: Thanks for explaining that, Zainab. The the massive shift and changes in our work and home life that occurred when the COVID-related lockdowns occurred in in many countries certainly has had a large and a negative impact on the development for for many communities and, and segments within the communities. How can employers and business leaders ensure that their workplace is accessible to all women?
2: There are a couple of things that the businesses are already doing. Some big businesses have already talked about and started working on how to actually, um, uh, how to actually continue working from home and you know, doing this flexible work possible, which will actually ensure men and women to take care of the household together. So one thing a lot of companies and, and countries are actually integrating into their legal systems is the fatherhood leave so that fathers can actually live through the joy of raising their own kids and ease the burden on their partners. Another thing that the companies are doing is actually trying to find incentives for women to work from wherever they would like to work from. But of course, the companies should not be alone in uh, implementing these measures. Countries also should be able to make this an issue and make it easier for the employers to get their women employees all the benefits. And if we change the direction
1: of our conversation and we look at foreign policy and international relations, is it important that women create policy for women? Or should feminist foreign policy be achieved by a cohort of men and women together?
2: Let me give you a very simple example. So once when we were doing this project about how to empower local women politicians, we were trying to figure out whether once they are in the local governments, are they doing something beneficial for women? And can they do something beneficial for women? So we were trying to find ways in terms of trying to get their own experience to the policy circles. And it was very interesting because most women were talking about parks and how important the design of the parks, how important the lighting of the parks, how important was it that the sidewalks were designed in such a way that they could actually push the strollers or they could get their, you know, disabled fathers and mothers or, you know, family members uh, to the park. But on the other hand, when we were talking to the male municipal council members, uh, we realized that none of them ever brought up the parks. And this is a crystal clear example of since, you know, these guys who were sitting in this municipal council never took anybody to the park during the day or, you know, late in the afternoon, they didn't even think that designing the park was actually important. So of course, men and women can actually do feminist policy, but on the other hand, it is essential that we give the place to women first so that they can actually talk about what their policies are going to be. But what about foreign policy? For example, countries like Sweden and New Zealand and Australia, they are putting women in their international aid programs and international aid policies. So whenever they are going to do international aid diplomacy, they give most of their budgets on the condition that women are put to the hearts of the projects. So they basically do what we call gender mainstreaming. And this is one way, and it, of course, depends on what that particular country is doing in terms of foreign policy and what its priority is. Mexico, for example, and France, they, uh, they follow different routes. And what they are trying to do is actually put more women diplomats in the decision-making processes and increase the number of women diplomats. So it changes according to the foreign policy priorities, of course. At the Women and Foreign Policy Initiative, with four friends, we have written four different reports to how to basically feminize Turkish foreign policy. We looked at how Turkey's humanitarian aid can be feminized. So how can we put uh, women at the center of the Turkey's humanitarian aid? One other suggestion that we had was we have a lot of women diplomats in Ankara and also in all over the world. And we are discussing how our female diplomats who are very well educated at the top of their games can actually be appointed to positions where they would do the international negotiations, which is also another priority area for the Turkish foreign ministry. So depending on each country's or each international organization's priorities, there are a lot of ways of making a feminist foreign policy.
1: Thanks for explaining that. And I'm a keen advocate for greater diversity and equality in government, in business, and in civil society organisations. We need much greater representation from underrepresented groups uh, across society. And I think your point is helpful, that it's difficult for someone who has not gone through your experience or not lived your life to thoroughly understand your experience and how it's impacted you. So how can men who are listening to this podcast today who want to have a better understanding of the issues that are of concern to women and who want to advance gender equality, how can they become better advocates with women? That's
2: a wonderful question. Well, first they can start listening to the women uh, around them. And then second, of course, advocate for change. And these can come in in very small doses as well. When I was growing up in the traditional family setting, if the men are older than you, you are usually the one to serve. So let's say, you know, you're going to get coffee or tea during the day. It's usually, you know, oh, why don't you get some coffee for your dad or your big brother? And, and, you know, I was happy to do that because, you know, little girls uh, would like to please their mothers. And I was amazed because my brother was like, why does she bring me the coffee? I would go get my own coffee. So these types of small gestures actually help a lot. Again, this is this, uh, you know, sharing of these care responsibilities that I was talking about, you know, sharing the burden at home uh, is also particularly important, you know, starts with you, within you. So listening to others and taking a good look at yourself is, is a first step. I remember one of my students at the end of a gender class told me that, oh, I wish I hadn't taken this class. And I was confused. I was like, you know, why, why do you say that? And she was funny. She was like, oh, now like all my rela- in all my relationships, you know, in the family, with my boyfriend, I would always think about these things and I will be a feminist and that will be tough. So even for women, realizing your rights and actually acting upon them in the system, which is very patriarchal, it is tough to change the way that you behave. So I would also say that, you know, being resilient, being insistent uh, uh, on this is particularly important.
1: Yeah, they're great points. And I think better listening, being more humble is always good advice and and certainly great advice when it comes to understanding people with different backgrounds to yourself. So thanks very much for sharing that. And thanks very much for coming on the podcast today, Zainab. It's been a really great conversation.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, that was a great conversation today with Zeynep Alemdar. I really appreciated hearing Zeynep's thoughts on the power of diversity in the workplace, the way life is experienced differently by different genders, and the power of more creative and impactful solutions when a healthy gender mix is achieved.
0: You've been listening to the International Risk Podcast, hosted by Dominic Bowen. Thanks again for joining us. Please go to wherever you download your podcasts and give this podcast a five-star review. Your positive reviews on this podcast and subscribing to future downloads is critical for our success. If you know someone that has experience successfully working with risk, has a great story to share, and would like to be on this podcast, send us an email at contact at the international risk Thank you for listening and join us next week for your fix of risk-related stories.